Did you ever sing a song and or hear a song on the radio and there's a tune or a particular word or lyric that gets stuck in your head? So as we're singing the worship this morning, I so appreciate being able to begin our time with songs of worship and praise that remind us and teach us who we are in God and who He is to us. And that second song that we were singing, there's that line. It says, my cup cannot contain, my cup it cannot contain all of your glory. Remember just singing that? So I'm thinking of the Psalm 23 and my my cup it overflows. My cup it overflows. My cup it overflows because with God there's always more. With God there is always more. When we feel like we're running on empty, we feel like we got nothing left in the tank and we feel like we just can't take that next step. There's always more because that's how big and good God is. That our cups that are overflowing already, we cannot contain all of his glory, all that he has for us, all that he wants to share with us. Church, just be encouraged. If there's, if you hear nothing else that I say this morning or Anything, anything else that God might have for us, would you remember that? That our cups cannot contain all of his glory and that our cups overflow because of Jesus and with him there is always more. Right? That, that river of goodness, that river of grace and mercy, it never runs dry with the Lord Jesus. It never runs dry. We praise God for that. Well, church, here we are again. It seems like we were here just last week, doesn't it? <laughs> Uh, we were, that's right. You know, uh, somebody, yeah, as our young ones go, um, if anybody hasn't gone yet, we have, uh, well, thank you for all the adults that help with our kids, and uh, we so appreciate that, uh, and uh, they get to have their time. And um, Maybe some of you grew up in, in church, and you remember what it was like, and some of you are like, man, I wish I could still do that, snack time and, and all that, but you get to... You get to learn songs too. I mean, do you ever think? Do you ever just kind of come to mind maybe songs or, or, or uh, Bible verses you remember learning as a kid? Isn't that great. I mean, God just kind of puts that on you and it never leaves you. But that's part of what the Holy Spirit does. He brings those things back, and so so we're grateful for our, our young next generation of believers. But um, you know, as uh, as I was driving into church this morning, I was thinking, who stole that extra hour from me? Because I really want it back. Do you feel like that? And and did you have an extra cup of coffee or something to try to gain it back today? But uh, hopefully you did. Um, But, you know, we are going through the the book of 1 John. And the title of our series is very simply Walking in the Light. Walking in the Light. And it's a study through this very short, just five chapters, this very short letter uh, written by, of course, written by God but penned by the, the Apostle John, the one closest to our Lord Jesus, sort of his best friend. And uh, John even says of himself, the one whom Jesus loved. This is the same Apostle, the same uh, disciple John who wrote the Gospel of John. There's a lot of similarities in the two letters. Uh, he also wrote Second and Third John and the book of Revelation. So John did a lot of writing. Uh, and um, you'll notice as we've been going through this this short book of 1 John, he mentions so often this idea of our fellowship with God. He calls us little children or dear children. 
because he is telling us, hey, you have a heavenly father and you are his children. Remember, we talked about that last week, our relationships with each other, brothers and sisters. Remember this church, just as a side note, that God is the restorer of broken relationships, isn't he? He is the restorer of broken relationships. I mean, he is the best at it because did he not send Jesus Christ to restore our relationship to him, our heavenly father? So if he did that for us, he can restore any earthly relationship. But the key is that he is the one that's going to do it, right? So we leave that to him. And so John is telling us, he's saying, look, I know that you're believers. Remember, he's writing to Christians, people who have put, men and women who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And he is saying, look, to believers, he's saying, you know the truth, you're strong in your faith, but how is your fellowship with God? Your position before him is secure. You can't lose your salvation. But he says, how's your fellowship? Are you enjoying your time with him? Are you enjoying all the blessings that he has for you? He's basically, in a nutshell, saying, do you know that your cup overflows? Do you know that you can have such an abundant and beautiful and intimate relationship with me? And and John is saying, what is your fellowship like with God and with each other? And so that's what we say, you know, from the very beginning of the book, we get this phrase, walking in the light. Because he says, we are to walk in the light as he is in the light. Because we're no longer children of darkness, but we're children of light, see? And so that's where we should be walking. So remember this, everything that we read, including today, we're in chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. That's I'm going to read that in a moment. Uh, 1 John 4, 1 to 6. Even in this, he is still telling us to say, how is your fellowship with God? What does that look like? Are you walking in the light? And so the other thing to remember before I read this, this passage, is that John, what kind of led him to do this, and that's his overall theme is, how's your fellowship with God? But he is writing specifically, and this is important that we have context, right? When we read the scriptures, he is writing to address heresy. The heresy is when something that is untrue is being taught, something that is unbiblical is being taught to people, right, in the church. And so something that is heretical goes against the orthodox true doctrine that had been taught. And so John is saying, you have the knowledge, you know the truth, and so you should be secure in that. Don't let the enemy, the ruler of this world, and any of his false prophets lead you astray. He is saying, look, you have it, you know the truth, now stand in it and live in it. Because there are false teachers in the church, even that day, the very first generation of Christians, the very first church. Can you believe it? We can kind of say, yeah, we can believe it because there was people involved, right? And so there was heresies. There were people that were rising up in the ranks and leadership of the church that were teaching things that John says, you were not taught these things. Stick to what you were taught. Stand firm on the foundation of the words of the apostles at the time, remember? And then, of course, of the scriptures they had by then. And he says, stand on those because there will be false prophets. There will be others who will try to lead you astray for all reasons because we have an enemy. Have you noticed, if you've read through First John, maybe you're reading ahead or you're reading along with us, how often 
John gives contrast. I said he's sort of a, a man in contrast. He talks about light and dark and death and life and good and evil, right? And sin and obedience and humility and pride. And he talks about God's ways and the world's ways because they are at odds with each other. You know, the Bible tells us that before we became believers, we were enemies of God. I mean, when I say I never felt like an enemy of God, but you were. We were. Before the cross, before that moment of salvation, we were enemies of God because we belonged to the world. And so John is simply saying, little children, dear children, you no longer belong to the world. You belong to God. You belong to God. And through Christ, we were bought at a price. So we are no longer our own. So let's remember that, that he was writing to address some heresies in the church. Specifically, there was this heresy uh, called Gnosticism, which just comes from the word like knowledge, that they, these were people that thought they had a special knowledge. And, and part of that was docetism. And I, these might be big words, right? But this idea of docetism simply means this. People were teaching, if you believe it in the church, saying Jesus really wasn't who you thought he was. He wasn't a real man walking among you. He was a ghost. He was just an apparition or a spirit. Or others would say, well, maybe he was a man, but he wasn't really fully God and and fully man. He would kind of go back and forth whenever he wanted. He wasn't at the same time. And John is saying, don't believe that. Don't believe the hype about that because it is not true. And you know, he's like saying, encouraging, you know what's true. Stick to it. Don't be led astray. So that's where we come to today in 1 John 4, 1 to 6. And specifically, church, today, he's focusing on this idea of false prophets, false teachers, false prophets, meaning people within the ranks of the church that were teaching heresy that we're teaching things that were not true. And so here's where we are. 1 John 4, 1-6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. See what John's doing again? He's giving the contrasts. He's helping us to see. He's calling us little children, dear children. He's saying, you are children of the Father. You have the knowledge. Let me make it plain and simple to you. It's like as simple as, as contrasting night and day and death and life. It's the world and it's God's ways. He's saying, you were from the world. They are all those false, false prophets. They are from the world and the devil's system. He says, we're from God. 
We're from God. We belong on God's team. We are now bought with a price. We are now owned by God. Our life is secure in him. He's saying that's where you want to be, walking in the light. See? He's saying walking in the light. So in a way, what he's saying is that we have so much potential to be used of God because we have the Holy Spirit within us. And of course, probably the most famous verse, the most well-known verse from this passage is, um, is verse 4. Right? And we, we always quote that, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. But there's some words before that in verse 4. Little children, you are from God. See, he's remembering, he's reminding you, here you are, you are from God. And you have already overcome them. He's saying, don't even worry about them. Don't even listen to them. Pay, pay them no mind, no attention. You've already overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he was in the world. So who is in us, church? The Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Right? And that's the point that John is trying to make. He's saying, why? He's saying, you are overcomers. Do you feel like an overcomer? Some days. And sometimes you're like, man, I blew it on that one. But regardless, our identity is as overcomers. He's saying, you are with God. You're no longer walking in the shadows, in the darkness. You don't belong to the world anymore. You belong to God. He's saying we. He's saying we are with God now. See, we are with God. You were on this side. Now you're on this side. And this is God's side. And we are with God. You have overcome that already. You have all that you need to overcome every day the things that the enemy brings to you because you have the Holy Spirit within you. And that's why at the very end, in the last verse of this section, verse 6, he says, By this, by all these things, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So today is about testing the spirits. Do you know when there's false teaching? Do you know what it is that you're hearing? Do you have some kind of filter? Who is it that you listen to? You know, there's a, one of my, my favorite new commercials. I don't know. I like watching the commercials. Do you ever, do you kind of skip through them to get to your program? I kind of like the commercials. A lot of them use humor. And, and uh, some of my favorite ones these days are some of those Geico commercials. And I love the one with um, uh, the f- very first one with Pinocchio, right? And uh, he said, and you know, and the father and the son, he's like, well, did you know Pinocchio was really bad at being a motivational speaker? And you see, you know, Pinocchio, and he says, when I look around this room... You remember it? I'm sorry. All I see is untapped potential. You have potential. And then what happens? His nose starts to grow. You just love the look of the guy, and he's just like, oh. Because he was so excited. I thought I had potential, see? And his nose starts growing. But why is it so funny? Because you're like, you're not going to believe Pinocchio, of all people, as a motivational speaker. Because why? Because we can't... What's the idea? Is that he's going to lie, right? And that's what happens. And so the point is, is that who are you listening to? So they all gathered there in that room, and he can't wait to hear about all that untapped potential. And here's Pinocchio trying to tell, try to tell him, right? But it's, kind of, it's funny, but it kind of makes me think, like, yeah, who is it that we listen to in this world? Like, who are we getting our words of affirmation from? Who are we listening to, to tell us? what's real about ourselves. And the first part of this, are we listening to what's coming from the world 
or are we listening to what's coming from God? But then church, and, and here's the sad part of it and why this really isn't even a, a fun message to give, but even within the world of God, on God's side, on God's team, there are false prophets. There are those even, brothers and sisters in the Lord, who are misinterpreting Scripture so badly, they are leading so many people astray. Was it not Jesus that spent so much of his time with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes, the religious leaders? Why was that, church? Because they were leading the people of Israel astray. He went right to the leadership, see? He went right to the leadership and he said, you should know better. How many times did he tell them, you should know these things? He would quote scripture, the Old Testament. He would quote it to them and he said, you should know this. Because they had the truth. But what were they doing with it? They were misusing it. They were taking their cues from the enemy, the leader of the world, see? So my question today is, who do we listen to? You know, we are to have a filter. We all know what a filter is, right? There's all kinds of filters in everyday life. I mean, there's the uh, the most important one, the coffee filter, right? And that kind of filters out, right? Because what comes out is that goodness, right? You need that. But what does a filter do? It kind of traps, you know, things that are inconsistent impurities so that what comes out is the goodness is what you want. Right? You have a filter in your vacuum, and if you don't change it, there's issues. There's, there's a filter in your dryer. It's, you know, one of my little pet peeves is I remember, you know, when the kids were younger, I'd ask them to change, you know, change the, the, the switch the laundry, and they would not change the clear out the dryer filter. So what happens when you do that load after load? Gets all packed with lint. But then the air can't travel through, and so the clothes don't get dry. Right? But the it's a simple idea, but that's what a filter does. It traps all the impurities and things you don't want so the good stuff can pass through. I mean, we have water filters. I mean, even in our body, God created filters in His, in, in, um, His sovereignty and His beautiful Creator, right? Like our kidneys and our liver, our lungs, they filter things out. Our nose hairs, they filter out impurities, right? Our eyelashes, you know, they do that when we blink. It filters out impurities to keep our eyes clean. I mean, even our tear ducts and our tears, it helps to, to filter out all the dust and all that stuff, right? I mean, we're kind of like a little bit more hypersensitive to filters these days. You watch the news and what's everybody wearing? A mask, a filter to filter out viruses and germs, and we get that. But see, here's the idea that we are to have a spiritual filter, and that is... The Word of God. Here is our spiritual filter. I'm not trying to be trite or too simplistic. But everything that we do in life as believers should be filtered through this. Right? That's why it says to, to put it on your heart. Right? Or, or let the Word of God like guard your heart. Let it reside in your heart. So everything that comes through. We, we memorize Scripture so that as we listen and as we see what the world has to offer... It gets filtered through the Word of God, and we are to then say, nope, that's no good, that's no good. Right? Like some people say, well, it's just like you, you chew the meat and you spit out the bones. You take what's good, but you don't need all that other stuff. So we are to have a filter. Did you know in, in church history, 
there were things called creeds that were created as kind of a filter to make sure that everybody was on the same page about what we believed. And maybe some of you grew up in, in churches, more liturgical churches, and you know uh, some churches like Lutheran churches, Methodist, Episcopal, Anglican churches, especially uh, the Catholic church, they will use creeds. And these came about um, in the early part of the, the first centuries uh, of the church. And uh, the creeds were basic like summaries uh, of what we believe. But here's the thing to know, and this is why I bring it up, because I'm going to show you a couple of them. And some of you might remember and say, wow, that brings me real back. Uh, it brings me back so far. But, you know, there was this, the, the first one we know about was called the Apostles' Creed. Did you ever hear about that one? But here's the thing to know, church, and then I'm going to read that one. I'm going to read the Nicene Creed. But did you know why the creeds were even created? Because of heresy. Just like why John is writing this letter to address the heresy of people in the church, false prophets and teachers that were saying Jesus was just a ghost, right? These Gnostics. Well, the creeds were written written to address in the church, the greater church, heresies that were coming up. So the church fathers, the church leaders got together in the first few centuries of the church and said, we need to make sure that we're all on the same page. This is orthodox doctrine and belief. Anything outside of this does not belong. It's heretical. So basically what they did is they created a filter. Okay? But I'm going to show you something about these filters. So here's the first one. Okay? And so this is, and I think after I read these, you'll see kind of where I'm going with this, right? And so this is the Apostles' Creed. We're not really sure of the origin. It was most likely written in the second century. So maybe 150 AD, something like that. Um, used by a lot of high church and more liturgical churches. Right? Um, and so, but because it was written to address certain heresies, what we have to remember is these creeds or any creed doesn't specify and doesn't spell out every doctrine and every orthodox belief. It doesn't encompass everything. So right there we say, well, it's a filter, but it's an imperfect filter. It's made for a purpose, right? But it doesn't address everything. It kind of just summarized the thought. And so the Apostles' Creed goes like this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Some of you might have memorized that as a kid. We're going to come back to this creed in just a moment. But I also want to read to you the Nicene Creed. So this was, this was kind of created the same reason to address heresies, but different heresies. So it has a different focus. It's still sort of a summary of orthodox Christian beliefs, but it doesn't address all of them, okay? And again, it is still imperfect. So this was created in the 4th century, 325 AD, around the Council of Nicaea. That's why it's called the Nicene Creed, right? And the council was basically a bunch of church leaders getting together to saying, look, there's heresies in the church. We need to make sure we have something, some kind of document that says this is the true teaching uh, of the church, okay? And so, uh, specifically, it was addressing the issues of the Trinity 
and the deity and humanity of Christ. So here's what the Nicene Creed says. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth in the right hand of the Father. He shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. So I read these. I think a lot of you may be familiar. But to show you that even in church history, there was this idea of we need some kind of filter. We have the Word of God, and that is our main filter. That's really what John is teaching us. But the church said we need to come up with something, right? So now I want to go back and look at these real quick, just briefly. So we look at the Apostles' Creed, and there's two particular things that it said that maybe stuck out to you, okay? So the first one is, it says in the Apostles' Creed that he descended into hell. So the question is, and maybe, you know, hopefully that kind of tweaked something and part of your filter is having read the Word of God, did Jesus descend into hell? Now, I believe he did not. Or maybe he did. But see, it's all in the way you define terms. You know, when you're gonna, when you're gonna say something, you're gonna have a conversation with somebody, it's important you define terms first. To make sure you're talking about the same person or the same thing. You know what I mean? Do you ever have a long conversation with somebody at the end? You're like, wait, what are we talking about? Because you're talking about two very different things. And that's called miscommunication. It happens all the time, especially in marriages, right? So very simply, and we're not going to do a whole Bible study on it, but the idea is this, okay? It really stems from a misinterpretation from the King James Version when it says hell. Like when you think of hell, what do you think about? You think about a place of torment and torture, eternal separation from God. That is not the word in the original language. The original word really means it's Sheol, okay? Sheol or Hades in the, um, in the Greek. It means a place of the dead. It's very simply, it just means a place when you die where you go. It's a place of the dead. It's a very simple, like, generic term. So in the Old Testament, it's Sheol. In the New Testament, the same word is, is um, understood as Hades, right? But it's not the same as hell. When you look at the, in Revelation 20, I think it is, talks about the lake of fire, Right, the end of all things where Satan and all the uh, and the unbelievers and, and all of his um, demons go as hell. That is not what this is talking about. So Jesus did not go to that place of torture. He went to the place of the dead. And again, we can't get it all into it. I suggest that you look it up and do some more research. But basically, that Sheol or Hades, not meaning hell, is a place where the saved and the lost 
go after they die, waiting for the resurrection, but still immediately the saved in the presence of Jesus, right? And that's most important. But the idea is, yes, Jesus, did he go there? Yes, he went to Sheol or to Hades, but it was not hell as we think of it. So you see how a little word, one word misinterpreted in the King James reads then in this creed, Jesus went to hell. And that can change all of your other theology, right? So that's important. And then, in number two, the other thing, it says the Holy Catholic Church. This one's a little bit simpler. And you would say, I don't go to a Catholic church. Maybe I I used to go to a Catholic church. and You know, but what does it mean? See, words have meanings, but don't meanings change? And some words have different meanings. Like when you think of Catholic church... We all think of the same thing, don't we? The Roman Catholic Church that a lot of our friends and family might go to. That's not what this means here. The word Catholic means universal. It just very simply means that. That's why the Roman Catholic Church adopted that name so far back because they believe that they were the one true and only church. The word Catholic simply means universal. That's what it means in this creed. Not just the Catholic Church as opposed to Protestants like us. It means universal. We believe in believers everywhere around the world. Right? As the church, capital C. So do you see what I'm getting at? It's, it's, these, these, um, these creeds can be a good filter for the truth, but they're not perfect. And then just very briefly, the Nicene Creed also said Catholic and Apostolic Church. So we talked about Catholic, but Apostolic. Do you know where this kind of comes into play with Apostolic Succession? Right? And our Catholic friends believing the Pope, right, is descended from the first pope being Peter, that there is this apostolic succession and it's read right into that. One holy Catholic and apostolic church. But that doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean apostolic succession. It simply means this, that it's based upon the church, the universal church of all believers everywhere is based on the original teachings of Jesus given to the apostles as they planted the churches and taught the first generation of Christians. So it's all based upon the apostles' teaching. Remember Acts 2 and 42 to 47? That the early church gave themselves daily to the breaking of bread and to the the apostles' teaching? See, that's my point, is that's what it's talking about. And so if you don't understand what it's saying, we can be led astray. So we have to be careful. What is our filter? It is always the very Word of God. And the other thing from this, briefly, from the Nicene Creed, it also says at the end, we believe in the one baptism for remission of sins. So when you read that, what does it sound like? Does it not sound like that you need to be baptized to have your sins forgiven? But see, we don't believe that here. We believe, how is it that you're saved? By faith. Ephesians 2, right, 8 and 9, that you are saved by grace through faith. It's grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. We can't do any good works to add to that. Jesus did it all. So therefore, this can't be saying after all these other good things that, oh, and you have to be baptized to actually be saved. That's not what it's saying. So what is it saying? It's one of two things. Because if we're using the filter of the Word of God, what we already know about salvation, that is by faith alone, then it either means... That the, the baptism shows the remission of sins, and that word of is wrongly interpreted. Baptism, I mean, for remission of sins. 
This probably doesn't mean for, meaning baptism, which shows the remission of sins because the ba- because your sins are already forgiven, then the baptism happens after. It's called believer's baptism. Or it could very simply be talking about spiritual baptism because we are baptized into the Holy Spirit. Okay, at the moment of salvation, that's what we say the Holy Spirit indwells us. Do you follow me? So the point is, we need to have a filter. And we use that filter, the Word of God, through everything that comes at us, even stuff from the church. It's not perfect, but the only thing that's perfect is the Word of God. Churches have filters. They're called statements of faith. We have a statement of faith. It's in our Constitution. It's on our website. Check it out when you go home. What it says is the basic a statement of faith of what we believe here. You want to become a member? You have to agree to the statement of faith. There may be other things that we believe, other things that are, you know, theologically you might hear me teach or other people in the church that our members teach, but those are the basics. Those are our statement of faith. And why do we say that? To say anybody that wants to come and join us and be a part of our fellowship, but here is what we stand on. This is what we believe. See, that's sort of our filter. To say all that we say and do, all of our programs, our events, our teachings, everything, we say it gets filtered through the statement of faith, see? But where should it all come from originally? From the Word of God. One last thing about filters. God also gives to the church leaders. He says he gives, and you read about it in Ephesians and elsewhere, he gives elders or overseers. Why? As shepherds, right, with the gifting of pastoring, which means shepherd, what do shepherds do? They feed the sheep and they protect the sheep. Protect the sheep from what? From wolves? Who would the wolves be as people? False prophets. See, that's what John is telling us. He's saying, beware of false prophets. So the church leadership needs to be looking out for false teaching and heresies that might come from within the church or especially from others outside coming to teach something that is not that is not part of our statement of faith. So we take somebody comes in and I want to, I believe this, I want to teach this. Well, here's our statement of faith and we're going to pass that through that filter. This comes from the word of God, our main filter, and it's not really getting passing through, see? That's the idea. And so the creeds are imperfect. Men as leaders are imperfect. What does Paul say? Follow me only as I follow Christ. Church, we need to be like the Bereans. Did we read about the Bereans? They're not mentioned often. In Acts, Acts 17, I believe it is, a couple of verses, it says this about the Bereans. It says, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas. This is on Paul's second missionary journey. So it says, the Christians immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Remember, Paul always went there. We went through Acts, right? Paul would always go to the synagogue first. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Love that. Let us, church, let us be like the Bereans, always. See, what is when Luke wrote Acts, what he's saying was that Paul and Silas on their second journey... Here's where they went. They went here and they went to Berea. And when they went to the synagogue, they found these Jews. Boy, these Jews weren't like the Jews in the synagogue in Thessalonica. Why? Because these Jews, first of all, they were very eager to listen. They were saying, yeah, Paul and Silas, what do you have to tell us? 
You're representing God? Sure. Tell us. But then it said what they did was they committed themselves every day to what? Examine the Scriptures. To search the Scriptures as the filter to test what Paul and Silas were preaching. They didn't just say, oh, Paul, I heard about you. Yeah. Yeah, you're on TV. You're good. I hear you on the radio every Thursday night, every Wednesday morning. Yeah, I'm sure whatever you teach is biblical. No, what they did was they said, this is great. They were eager to learn it. Yeah, teach me about the Bible. Teach me. But what they did is they filtered it through the scriptures. They said they were every day examining the scriptures, going through the pages of the scriptures saying, Paul said this yesterday. Do you see this in there? Oh, yeah, here it is. He's right. He's right. See what they did? We need to be like the Bereans every day examining the scriptures to see if what it is we're hearing, what it is that we're seeing, what people are trying to teach us is true from the word of God. Does that make sense? That is what John is telling us to do. A simple but strong message from John. He says, beware of the false prophets. Test those spirits. And here's the two things that he gives as the main filter. They come from the word of God. Two things that he gives as we wrap it up. Two things he gives as the filters. And these are good for us today. No matter what heresy we might be dealing with, no matter what kind of false prophets are out there today teaching who knows what, these two filters are still good for us today as they were back when John wrote this. The first and foremost is Jesus. How about Jesus as a filter? Bring everything that you hear, every conversation you have, you bring it back to Jesus. People can talk about God and they can talk about the Bible and they can talk about Jonah and they can talk about, you know, Moses. But let's talk about Jesus because he's the one that makes all the difference. His blood on the cross is what covers us. It is like our filter. It filters everything out. Jesus is the one who makes the difference. Remember, he was fighting a heresy, addressing the heresy where the people at the time, the Gnostics, the the Docetists were saying, Jesus was just a ghost. He wasn't really who you're saying, right? Look at this, Hebrews 2, 14 to 15. Since therefore the children, meaning us, share in flesh and blood, meaning because we are flesh and blood, he himself, meaning Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, meaning the incarnation. The writer of Hebrews is saying Jesus, God had to become man, flesh and blood, to partake of what we are, flesh and blood. Why? So that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. See that? Remember when Jesus came on the scene, you read about it in Luke 4, and he went into the synagogue for the first time after being tested in the desert. And by the way, how did Jesus face every test of the enemy? The Word of God, did he not? So right after that, he goes into the synagogue the first time and he opens the scroll, remember that? And he reads from Isaiah and he sits down and he says, this is now fulfilled in your hearing. What is it that he read? He said, I have come to set the oppressed free. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying, that Jesus had, that God had to become, uh, take on flesh, the incarnation and the person of Jesus, the Messiah, so he could partake of the same things we do to be a human being, so that through his physical death, he could destroy the power of death. So if the Gnostics were saying he was just a ghost, how could he die and shed his blood on the cross? See that? 
And so John is saying the first filter is Jesus. The second filter is the Holy Spirit. Because he says we have the Holy Spirit now. What is the ministry in the life of the believer through the Holy Spirit? To illuminate the truth, meaning to, to show the truth of God's word as we read it. Yes, this is what it means. To take the word of God that we have memorized and hidden in our heart. And just at the right time when we pray for it, what will he do? He will bring it out. Say, man, I memorized that 20 years ago. I even forgot that I remembered it. And he brings it back. It's part of what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us when we are going astray and listening to false prophets. The Holy Spirit is like our filter, see? He is the spiritual filter because he points us back to Jesus. And we learn about Jesus from the Word of God. John 16. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And he won't speak on his own authority, see? Whatever he hears, he will speak. He'll declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit is giving us the very word of God. In 1 John 4, 4, we read it. It's part of our passage today. Little children, you are from God. You have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So in conclusion, we have to be careful who and what we listen to. Who are you learning from? Who are you allowing to influence you? Are you sitting in a room with a suit and tie on, waiting for a Pinocchio to give you some words of affirmation that all he sees in you is untapped potential? Now, if the Word of God says it, then we believe it. Because the Word of God says we have untapped potential because of the Holy Spirit, because God made us, right? And because we have been saved through Jesus Christ. So church, always be testing the spirits, be searching the scriptures daily like the Bereans, become, listen, become a critical thinker, become a critical thinker. You know, when you, when you go to college, they say it's not all about the content that you learn, it's to learn to become a learner. Did you ever hear that? You go to school, no matter what level, to become a learner. You might not remember all the content, but you learn how to think and to process to become a critical thinker. We need to become critical, biblical thinkers and take the Word of God and filter everything we hear through this. We are also to develop a discerning spirit as we learn and as we grow. Or else we become welcome to every idea and philosophy. Ephesians 4, right? Leaders were given to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? Why are we to become mature Christians? Learning everything we can. So verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. It is out there, church. We don't want to be judging people, but we can judge through the word of God their ideas their thoughts, their words, their philosophies. There are false prophets in the church today. And they are the ones that get the most publicity and the most recognition. And unfortunately, they're usually the ones that represent all of us. They don't, but in the world's view, they do. Right? Whether it's one recently saying that he saw God gave him the word to the end of coronavirus and we should all be okay. Or another one saying, just kind of coming out of the woodwork, haven't heard about him in a long time, saying there's some kind of special ointment 
that we have discovered. The CDC doesn't know about it. No doctors in the world know about it. But you take this, and in 12 hours, you can get rid of the coronavirus. Or these are the things that we're going to believe. You take the Word of God, and you test it, and you filter through all the false prophets, see? And you say, where does that come from? Somebody says they have a special revelation from God. God told me this. Yeah, well, God gave us 66 books of the Bible, and we believe that he is done with the revelation, and that is what's inspired. So if you say, if you hear somebody say that I have gotten a special word from God, a special revelation, then what they're about to say has to be on the same authority level as the word of God. Is that somebody that you want to listen to and believe in? So my point is this. We have to be critical thinkers, biblically critically thinking, and we have to have a discerning spirit. It only comes from reading the truth. As we've said many times, I've said it many times from here, that how do people that study counterfeit money, how do they know it's counterfeit? Because they study the real thing. So let's study the truth of God, the real thing, and I'm going to leave you with these two passages. Romans 12:2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. That by testing, see there's a word testing? You may discern, whoop, there's the word discernment, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we renew our minds by reading the word of God so that we can be testers and discerners of what God wants, right? And then Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Church, focus on these things as we close with a song. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. We can listen to others. We can listen to others and teachers You listen to me, don't ever take my word for it. Please go back to the word of God. Be like the Bereans and search the scriptures daily to see what did Pastor Keith say? I'm not sure I believe this. Let me talk to him. Boy, I would love that. And we can talk about it. We could be like the Bereans and search the scriptures together. But Paul says, whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, whatever is excellent and worthy of praise, set your mind on those things. And then he finally says, Whatever I have taught you, whatever you received from me and heard from me and seen in me, as long as it, as long as it matches what Jesus says, then you practice these things. Amen? Let the Word of God, His Son Jesus Christ, the true Jesus, the biblical Jesus, and the Holy Spirit within you be your filter.